me? Are we getting a record? Thank you. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Titus, chapter 1, verse 5. I'll be reading Titus, chapter 1, verse 5. <clears throat> this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Let's pray. Father, with all this trouble with sound and everything, we know now that your word is in our midst. It's at the centerpiece now. Let it be and help me teach it, unfold it, explain it, and be helpful to the people. And would you move by your Spirit to cause us to love it. And love what we see accurately in the text. To the glory of your Son. Amen. This morning, we are officially installing Bob Draves as an elder here at Sovereign Grace Fellowship. Yes, 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 yes. Now, I say officially because Paul writes to pastors Timothy and Titus, and he says, look in the congregations for a particular type of men. And all the churches notice, and he lists these character issues, spiritual maturity issues, love for the Word of God, knowing of that Word, a care for the church as a whole, for other believers in that congregation are just acting like fathers, elders spiritually to people. He says, find them and appoint them to serve the body as elders. And so this morning, it, taking this week off from the Gospel of Luke in order to use it as an opportunity, again, to unfold what is this New Testament office of elder. Let me start this way, quoting Pastor Mark Dever, pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., who has written and speaks a lot on church structure, elders, etc. He writes, What kind of leadership does a healthy church have? A congregation? Committed to Christ? Gifted to serve? Yes. A pastor who is faithful in preaching the Word of God? Yes. But, biblically, there is something else as well that is part of the leadership of a healthy church. Elders. He goes on. As a pastor... I pray that Christ will place within our fellowship men whose spiritual gifts and spiritual concern for the body indicate that God has called them to be elders or overseers. The words are interchangeable in the New Testament. I pray that God will grow and gift such disciples for the work of caring oversight of the congregation and its doctrinal instruction. 
If it becomes clear that God has so gifted a certain man in the church, and if after prayer the church recognizes his gifts, then he should be set apart as an elder. End quote. See, this raising up of elders within local congregations of the church is something that all the membership should desire simply because they are better served by it. Now, I've known Bob since Easter Sunday, 1993, 20 years ago. We were in the same church at that time. I watched his life before he was married and then married and having children and just over the years. And now he's been at our church, what is it, almost four years? It's close to it. Almost four, almost four, three years and something. And months after he had been here, when Marcelo was still here serving as an elder with me, we used to keep our eye on Bob. I mean, there seems to be elder material here. And then last August, before Marcelo moved, knucklehead, himself and his family back to Brazil, he and I sat down with Bob and spoke with him and asked him to pray about and to consider and to read about eldership and whether he would be willing to serve this body in that way. And besides that, we can do it in a small church without official meetings and raise your hand and stuff. I've, I've approached each member of the church and, and, and spoke about that, and the overwhelming response was positive. So th this gives me the opportunity to speak about elders now for the next 40 minutes, and then we will install Bob. L let, me, let me start it this way, because we all live in church history and cultural context. I became a Christian in 81, back in the 20th century. And in the 20th century, what we evangelical Christians, many of us, have inherited in church structure was a pastor all alone. That's it. Yes, there's a congregation, and if they're congregational churches, they ultimately have the authority, and with boards, they hire the pastors and fire the pastors often, but there he is with official responsibilities to lead and to shepherd the flock and the members all alone. The burden for the oversight, for upbuilding the body, for upholding biblical doctrine, for nurturing the members for when need be church discipline was all left up to one man with a church of 50 or 80 people or 150 or if it was big enough they had enough money maybe two or three because they had enough money to hire other pastors assistant pastors and pay them and put them on staff but the point is that all the burden all the responsibility rested on the one or, or the few paid pastoral staff instead of sharing oversight and care 
for the whole flock with other spiritually minded men in the congregation who have the biblical qualifications to stand in the office of elder, but who don't necessarily aspire to or feel a gift or a calling to be a preaching pastor as their full-time ministry. But here's the thing in the Bible. Everywhere you look with the term elder, it's plural. Elders. It's assumed that there's this plurality of eldership in the local church. A type of council of elders who have the responsibility for leadership, for protecting from wolves, false doctrine, nurturing, shepherding, caring for the people. Mark Dever says it this way, the New Testament clearly refers to elders in the plural in local churches. My own experience confirms to me the usefulness of following the New Testament practice of having, where possible, more elders in the local church than simply a lone pastor. And having them be people rooted in the congregation. This does not mean that the pastor has no distinctive role. There are many references in the New Testament to preaching and preachers that would not apply to all the elders in a congregation. So in Corinth, Paul gave himself exclusively to preaching in a way that lay elders in a church could not. Preachers seem to move to an area expressly to preach, whereas elders seem to be already a part of the community, end quote. So let's just kind of go to the Bible a little bit now. Who are the elders? Now, according to the New Testament, there is one office of spiritual leadership in the church. It's referred to as the office of elder or the office of overseer. Let me just give you a taste for a moment. In Acts 14.23, Luke writes, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. In Acts 15.2, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So this large church in Jerusalem probably had no, the larger you are, the more elders you're going to need. They're there. In Acts 20, verse 17, and from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and he called the elders of the church to come to him. Titus 1.5 This is why I left you in Crete, Titus, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. In James 5.14 Is any among you sick in your churches? Let him call for the elders. Not traditionally in most of our churches, which by definition are small what most churches are. Not the pastor alone, but the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. 
So what I want to briefly show that in the New Testament, the term elder and the term overseer refer to the exact same office. There's not two offices going on. The word overseer in the modern translations is translating the Greek word episkopos. The word elder translates the Greek word presbyteros. You hear the word there? You hear a word we get? Presbyterian from presbyteros, elder. It has to do with church government and what Presbyterians believe. You hear the word episcopal or episcopalian with the word episkopos. That Greek word episkopos is what had been translated in the King James Version in English, the Old English, as bishop and another form of kind of church government. For our sake now, there's those two words both in the New Testament referring to the exact same office. The word episkopos, translated overseer, there's these two words that have come together to make the one word. The preposition epi, over, scopos, scope out, right? Scope out. Microscope, to see. It, it means to, to oversee. There's a flock, there's a church, there's a, like a father with a family. In a local church, the responsibility, not just, oh, you are sheep, all elders are sheep, but then there's this responsibility to kind of over, how are things going? How can we better do? How can we direct us here? What's going on? But it's an oversight, a responsibility for the care of the body as a whole. Titus, I mean, excuse me, Paul writes in Titus 1, 5 to 7, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and, now listen to him, and appoint presbyteroi, elders, in every town, as I directed you. If anyone is above approach, and then he gives this list of qualifications, okay? But, so that you may appoint elders, and after the list he says, why these qualifications? For un. And now you would expect the word elder. But he doesn't restate it. He uses a different word. For or because an overseer as God's steward. Right? To Paul, the elder or an overseer, the exact same office, different ways of saying it. One emphasizing their spiritual maturity to handle it, to the other ex dealing with the exercise of the care and the oversight of the church. These two terms, elder and overseer, are interchangeable. In Acts chapter 20, we see the same thing. Luke says, Paul says, bring all the elders from Ephesus here before he gets on a ship and leaves. He wants the elders, he wants to give them a speech. And in the speech, he says to them, elders, pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you elders. But he doesn't use that term. In which the Holy Spirit has made you episkopos, overseers, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. You either listen or, or turn to one of the significant passages. 1 Timothy 3. Paul says this, the saying is trustworthy. 
if anyone aspires to the office of... Hey, Paul, we want you to say elder like you just did in Titus, another pastor you wrote to. He doesn't use it. To the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer in that office must be a person who is above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up and with conceit, with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Okay, let me stop there now. He never used the term elder there. But see, you just you don't even have to flip a page probably in your Bible. You look at chapter five. You see something. But first, in these qualifications. In the New Testament, there are two offices that the New Testament gives us. Office of elder and the office of deacon. And the qualifications are essentially the same. Except for when it comes to the office of an elder, they, unlike a deacon, must have some type of an aptitude to explain stuff where people say, oh, thank you, that's helpful, I get it. It's called be apt to teach biblical doctrine, to understand the Christian faith and sniff out false doctrine, bad doctrine, because they know their Bible well and say, this is why this is true and not. And, and people don't go away all the time and think, I have no idea what you're talking about. They've okay. got to have that, that apt to teach and the other is to rule or to, in other words, govern or lead. That's the difference between the two. And when you go to chapter 5 now in 1 Timothy, he's called them overseers in chapter 3. In chapter 5, where we see again clearly those two distinctions about an elder, apt to teach and to govern or, or, or rule, make decisions on behalf of the flock, he calls that the task of elders in chapter 5. So for Paul, overseers in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy and elder in chapter 5 of 1 Timothy are equivalent. They're, he's referring to the same office. You following me? No? Yes, thank you. Okay. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we see these all come together in the first two verses of 1 Peter. Peter 5, with the verb of their, of their duty to shepherd. Listen, Paul writes, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Here's the verb. Shepherd. Watch out for wolves. Guide them right. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising, and here's the third word, oversight. You've got presbyteros, you've got episcopos, you've got elder, you've got oversight all there in Peter's mind. Okay, now the function of elders. The, the main 
two functions of elders is governing and teaching. To oversee, to shepherd, to lead is governing. And it's just assumed in the New Testament. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5.12, Paul writes to the church, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Just assume that they're there. Or in 1 Timothy 5.17, Paul writes, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor and especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So all elders must be apt to teach. They must, they must have the ability to take the Gospel, Bible, and explain it to somebody. Counsel somebody and, oh, thank you, that's, that's it's helpful. You do know there are people in the world that really don't have that gift. The more they explain, the more confused you get. That's, that's not good. That's, okay. An elder's got to be apt to, to, to guide and to teach. To say something with their mouth and communicate it over, over to them. All elders must be able to do that. But as Paul says here, but now especially to the ones who labor, which evidently is not all of them, in preaching and in teaching. In other words, they're all apt to teach, but there are some who, who labor, who, who work, who devote their education, devote their time and their energy in, into study and into preaching and into teaching. Essentially, they make their living at it. Well, I'm not going to go there where Paul argues this numbers of places in the New Testament. Don't muzzle the ox while he's treading out the grain. So, all elders, for, part of the qualification is that they are able to understand the Christian faith, biblical doctrine. They're able to defend it, to explain it. But it does not mean that they all have or have to have gifts of being a preaching pastor. I'm going to go into the ministry and disseminate. No, no it doesn't, they don't have to have that. They meet the qualifications. They're apt to teach. They can teach Sunday school class. They explain one-on-one -on -one to a person the gospel as they, as they counsel, and they can clearly call the pastor or the pastors to account for, why did you say that? Let's open the Bible again. Let's look at this. I, I don't see why that's there. And call them to account or see who's missing it here. They're able to do that. They don't have to even be able or even want to ever preach. Though many lay elders will do that. But they don't have to say, I, got, I want to stand up in front of this church or any other church, a small church or a large church, and preach a sermon. I'm an elder. I've got to be able to do that. No, you don't. But you've got to be apt to teach. You've got to have that ability to explain things. So there are those with gifts, with callings, with desire, and with the opportunity to be full-time staff pastors. And there are those who are lay 
elders, meaning it's not their full-time job. They are raised up from the congregation. They have these qualifications, and the body is better served for it. Let me just give you an example. Years ago, when I was... Uh, there, when I was looking at a church years ago and they were interviewing me for their new pastor, this church recently, or the decade before, had become more healthy. They never had elders like most Baptist churches didn't. And a lot of Baptist churches are changing now, seeing this as more, more biblical. But at that time, in their pastoral search, they had eight elders there, which was a really good thing for that church. They don't have a pastor. They're looking for one. But they had leadership there. They had solid leadership there with a body of men who were guiding and leading this church. But none of them felt, oh, that's my calling to become the pastor of this church and to labor full time and study and preaching and teaching and counseling. And what many churches now do, some of them you know, like John MacArthur's down the road, so big, they've got to have at least 30 to 40 elders. Or Bethlehem Baptist, where Piper used to be pastor. What they do in their bylaws is they make sure they have more lay elders than they have staff pastors just to balance it out, to say people from the congregation, it's not how they make their living. They're spiritual men with equal votes in decision-making and guiding this church and to hold to account all these other 16 staff-paid pastors over... Okay, so, all right. Here's the flow of what I'm saying. In the New Testament, it's clear there, written for us, by Jesus through the apostles, that there are leaders in the local churches who are called elders or overseers who have the responsibility to govern, to feed, nurture the flock, the people, to shepherd them. Here's the big picture. Jesus Himself is the head of the church universal, living and dead. And He is the head of every local expression of that church called the local church. Jesus rules over His body. Not by some magical secretive word spoken to Pastor Joe under a tree somewhere. Thank you. God, that thanks Jesus. Oh, tell the people that. It's not how he does it. Or to the body of elders in a local church. Here's the secret. Now go tell the people because they can't know it any other way unless I speak it to you. Jesus rules a church, but that's not how he does it. Jesus, as head of the church, rules his church through his apostles. That's how he does it. His apostles. Very unique office, died out in the first century. It is upon them, having already had the Hebrew Scriptures, upon them now in the first century that they laid the foundation of the church for all time. Our only problem is they're dead. 
but they speak. We got their writings. We got exactly what Jesus wanted us to have them leave behind for us. We call it now the New Testament. The New Testament is the written expression of Jesus' rule over the church. And therefore, pastors and their elders are to know Christ's Word. To be able to unfold it, to teach it, and to correct bad doctrine with solid apostles' doctrine. In other words, Christ mediates His authority, His teaching, His love through Paul, Matthew, Peter, etc. Through His apostles, His written Word. And ultimately then, as it flows down in the local churches, through the preaching, through the teaching, through the defending, through the, through the upholding of that Word, through the pastor or pastor's and their elders' understanding of it. Pastors and elders are to sit at the feet of the written Word of God. And their job is not to take it and to teach or to uphold and to promote their thoughts from it. Their main job is to do their very best to teach and to preach it. It's the thing. I'm going to read an extensive passage for a moment. Paul calls the elders from Ephesus before he's going to get on a ship and never see their face again. He's labored with them for, for years in that area. And this is what he says, and this is what all pastors and elders are to take heed of. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set my foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable in teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, therefore, elders, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which He obtained with His own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you elders, not sparing the flock. And from 
among some of you guys sitting here today when Paul's speaking. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things in order to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, I warn you, be alert, remembering that for three years I modeled for you how I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. End quote. All pastors everywhere and all elders everywhere are called to take heed to Paul's words and to care for Jesus' church, the flock. Now, the responsibility of elders, let me just say it this way. I think biblically, not the only way, but primarily, leadership is primarily influence. And the way that church leaders influence others is primarily by their life of faith and repentance and their upholding of the doctrines of Christ. That's it. Remember what the writer to the Hebrews says to the church. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of the way of their life and imitate their faith. And because elders are to lead by example, along with teaching, upholding doctrine, governing, because they are to lead by example, therefore, most of the qualifications for that office in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 are character issues. Paul exhorts Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself, Timothy, and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, earlier in this sermon, I already read the qualifications that Paul gave in 1 Timothy 3. I'm just going to flip over briefly and listen to him give the qualifications in Titus 1, verses 5 to 9. Titus, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone, as you look around, let me just stop for a minute. This is how it is not supposed to work in local churches. Oh, we need elders. So here, here, this is what you got to start living now. Start doing this. Okay, now you got to start living this way. Okay, now, okay, now you're ready for, to be an elder. That's not how it works. It is Jesus saves people. And Christians are supposed to live Christianly, and they're giving different, different, different gifts. He says, look around and just see how they're living. And you're going to notice some things about some certain ones. And when you do, grab a hold of them and uh, you know, tell them to pray and say yes at the end and become an elder. I mean, so that, anyway. So in other words, look around. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and if children who, who believe and are not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination 
Because an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. So it's what you look for. Now, I like, I, I read a quote earlier from Dever, if possible, because lots of people are put in places of not possible yet. I, I have a pastor acquaintance. I remember over a year ago, we were sitting down with him and some other pastors, and he planted a church by downtown L.A., graduate of the Master's Seminary. Small church like ours. Might be exact same size or a little bit smaller. And a lot of young people. He still had no elders. He wants elders looking at it. He had one perspective on but again, because he was being very wise, being cautious. You don't just throw them in there because we need some. It can be a really bad thing. And to this day, I think he as the lone pastor, also has no elders serving with him yet. He would like to. He's looking for it. Okay. Next, elders are accountable. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, we read, Church, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. No man or group of men have final authority over the church. Jesus does. And if you're a congregationalist like I am, ultimately the membership does as a whole. Elders are under shepherds who are accountable to the chief. Shepherd. It's his church. He purchased it, as Paul said, with his blood. No pastor anywhere or elder anywhere purchased the church. Pastors and elders are gifts from Jesus who purchased the church to serve the people. And that's why... Ultimately, even in Paul's writing, he makes a way where the people, the membership, can call to account a sinning pastor or a sinning elder. And said, no, if you're the only one, don't dare make an accusation. But if you've got two or three witnesses, obey Jesus in that. The way you do Matthew 18, he says, then you can bring a charge, may need be, in church against an elder, against a pastor, in church discipline. If everything has worked out right, will then un unfold. They're accountable, but ultimately, as this Hebrews text says, for, we are not keep, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. He means to Jesus. One day he will say to every pastor and to, to every elder as you served or whatever length of time you served as an elder, what did you do to help the members of this church persevere in faith? What did you hold to? Had you teach? How did you live your life? Had you lead? 
Dever writes, quote, We must, however, remember that the preacher or, or pastor is also fundamentally one of the elders of his congregation. This means that decisions involving the church, yet not requiring the attention of all the members, they should fall not to the pastor alone, but to the elders as a whole. It has the immense benefits of rounding out the pastor's gifts, making up for some of his defects, or many of his defects supplementing his judgment and leaving leaders less exposed, not all by themselves, less exposed to unjust criticism. I totally agree with him. I mean, dealing with problems, helping people who are making stupid spiritual decisions in their lives, to have one other hand, or two, or four, or five Jesus, bring them. To have them is better than as a pastor being there all alone, having to deal with everything, and you know your shortcomings and your and wisdom and everything else. It is really helpful to have elders serving along with a pastor. So, you know, Bob and any others in the future who may stand in the office of elder at this church, called to work together to pray over the people to talk about what, how can we better serve what, how's this working how's that working it is good really good I'm just saying this by experience good not to leave the pastor here at Sovereign Grace or any other church alone with all the problems and spiritual caretaking and decisions, but to supplement his giftings with qualified men from the congregation who can help him with his blind spots, help shepherd and care for the needs of the members of the flock. This is just the biblical model. And Mark Dever's conclusion is wisdom to embrace. Quote, If implemented in our churches, it could help pastors immensely by removing weight from their shoulders and even their own petty tyrannies from their churches. Indeed, the practice of recognizing godly, discerning, trusted, Laymen as elders is a mark of a healthy church. Amen. So, Bob, would you please? You still want to come up? Okay, okay. <laughs> Let me see. Stand right there. Stand right there. I can see you. I want that other member to get out here. Okay. 
Bob, having carefully considered the nature and the purpose of the office of elder to lead, to nurture, and to care for the flock. Will you consider your, own, an appoint, your appointment a call from God? Are you willing to accept the responsibility of the defense of the gospel, the care of the members of this church, and to do so relying on the power of the Holy Spirit unto the glory of God? If so, say, I will. I will. Now, everyone stand with me, please. Now, for you who are members. And if you're here and this is your church, you're not a member, become a member. We can say that too. We both say it now. Become a member. Okay. If you're a member of this church, I'm going to ask you a question. And at the end, I'm going to ask you to say, I do, if you say, I am. It's your heart. Here we go. Members, do you acknowledge and receive your fellow member, Bob Draves, as an elder with the responsibility to help lead and shepherd this flock, to pray for. Will you pray for him? Will you encourage him to submit to and follow his lead as he follows Christ? If so, say, I do. Amen. I want you to stretch out your hand to Bob and pray with me. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this man who has come into our midst with his wife and his children a few years ago. And now, Father, would you set him aside for this work, for this burden, for this shepherding, for this helping me? Would we, Father, be useful in freeing up the members of Sovereign Grace to do the work of ministry. Oh, Father, would You give us grace together for this burden, this care, this spiritual nurturing, and give us otherworldly wisdom that we desperately need in differing times. To the glory of your name, we thank you, Holy Father, now for this man standing in this office at Sovereign Grace Fellowship. Amen. Amen. Let's clap and sing our hearts out. <laughs>